the sixth chapter of the book of Daniel. Now there's some stories in the Bible that um, are recognizable, you know, with you just given half the title. I want you to help me tonight, so you're going to respond back to me. You'll answer, you'll answer um, as I give half the title. Ready? Noah and the... Yeah, boy, that's a tough one. <laughs> Samson and... Good. Elijah under the... Oh. <laughs> Who said table? <laughs> Elijah under the juniper tree. Who said that? All right. The patience of... Yeah. Um, Jonah and the... That's it. Daniel and the... Hey, why would you say Daniel and the lion's den? There are all kinds of stories. In fact, the book of Daniel is full of the events of Daniel. But the most familiar one, the one we remember, is the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And I suppose that as a kid growing up, you may have you know, read this story and wondered what he, what he did wrong to get thrown in jail like that, or in this dungeon where these kings of the beast were uh, housed and, and placed. Because, you know, you, you, we, we grew up um, believing that when you um, did right, you re were rewarded, and when you did wrong, you were punished. And you read the story of Daniel and the lion's den, and there is some confusion there. And all of a sudden, as you begin the process of growing and understanding, you come to understand that there are sometimes when you do right and you get punished, and you do wrong and you get rewarded. Well, the story of Daniel is the story of a person who did right and was punished. And I think that what is most important about the story of Daniel in the lion's den, perhaps what caused him to be there in the first place, is more important than what happened when he got there. And even though you and I are familiar and we, we glory in this story of Daniel and what happened when he got thrown in the lion's den, what happened after he got there, we fail to, we, we miss the most important part, and that is what caused him to be thrown in the lion's den in the first place. That's what we're going to do tonight. Now, the first 16 verses of Daniel chapter 6 deal with what caused him to be thrown into the lion's den. And next week we're going to talk about Daniel in the lion's den. So getting there and then what happened when he got there. And it begins really with the last two verses of chapter 5. So we're going to pick up those and read. Then Belshazzar gave orders, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put necklace of gold around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him that he now had authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. That same night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was slain. So Darius the Mede received the kingdom, that is the kingdom of modern day Iraq, the kingdom of Babylon, the kingdom of the world. Darius 
the Mede received the world at about the age of 62. Now here is this man, the king of, uh, of the Medes and Persians. And he's just now, uh, as we studied last week, he has just now um, conquered Babylon. And it goes down the riverbank into the city while they're celebrating in this banquet that, that, that is an obscenity to God. And he becomes the king of the world. And he's 62 years of age. Now verse 1 says, It seemed good to Darius, there should be no chapter division here as a matter of fact, to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom that they should be in charge of the whole kingdom. I know know you noticed immediately that Darius established a government that was delegation of authority. Now in the Babylonian kingdom, uh, the authority was autocratic. They had, they had uh, monarchs and these kings, most of them were wicked and terrible kings, were um, in absolute authority of the kingdom. But when the Medes took over, the Medo-Persian coalition, when they became the rulers of the kingdom, they established a kingdom with delegated authority. Much like... Um, Uh, we're familiar with, more familiar with in our time. And he appointed 120 satraps over the kingdom that they should be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them, three commissioners of whom Daniel was one. Now the danger of establishing delegated authority is that that when you put people in charge, and that's what a satrap was, um, he was a, actually an overseer or a, some people liken him to a modern day governor. There are 120 of them and they were overseers of this kingdom and delegated authority to them. The problem with that is, is that you run the risk of the abuse of authority. You know, The more people you have in authority, the more opportunities for the abuse of that authority. So he put three commissioners over the, the overseers. So what you got is three overseers over the overseers. And one of these overseers, one of these commissioners was Daniel. He was uh, one of them. Now it is absolutely and fundamentally totally clear as to why he put these three commissioners over these overseers, these satraps or governors, and that is because he wanted to prevent the abuse of the authority of these men. Couldn't trust any of them. And there was one of these men, his name was Daniel, who was really, had superiority among the commissioners. Look at verse 3. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Now there is one of these men, Daniel, commissioners, who has superiority because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. Now in our day, in our world, it's not, uh, you know, who, it's not what you know, it's what? It's who you know, Right? So who you know is more important than what you know. In God's kingdom, it's different. It's not who you know. It's not even what you know. 
It's what you are. In God's kingdom, the people He places in positions of, of, of leadership and authority are people who possess integrity. And it moved the heart of this king, God moved the heart of this king to place Daniel in the superior place of authority to rule over the whole kingdom because in God, when God is in charge and God is superseding and transcendent and sovereign, he's, His people are the people who have integrity. Now, the first mark of integrity, if you've got, you know, you're, you're following in your outline, what is, the, what is the first mark of integrity? The first mark of integrity is an excellent attitude. That's what the, the, the term extraordinary spirit means. It means that this guy had a great attitude. For integrity begins with attitude. Somebody said, some people are always complaining about the roses having thorns. I'm just grateful that the thorns have roses. What, what is your attitude? If integrity begins with, this, with the spirit, what's on the inside, what kind of attitude? Let's do an attitude check. And the first place this attitude will be reflected is in your work in the place of your duty or responsibility. With young people, it would be, be at school. With the rest of us, it would be in the duties that we have in our employment. Now, you're going to get up in the morning, and you're going to start back to school, or you're going to start to work. What kind of an attitude are you going to have? And you're going to rub shoulders with the people there where you are. What kind of attitude? And when you finish eight hours later, when the bell rings and you head out of, out of school, you head home from work, what kind of attitude will you have? Integrity begins with attitude, and, it, and it's reflected. It shows up, first of all, at the place of employment. It says, because he possessed an excellent, extraordinary spirit. Verse 4. Then the commissioners and the satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. Now they are going to scrutinize this guy's work. How would you like to have your, your work, your employment, come under that kind of investigation. I mean, they were just looking over his shoulders, trying to find some reason to accuse him. And they were doing it at the place of his official employment, at the place where he had been assigned to do his job. How would you like for your job to come under that kind of scrutiny? And they couldn't find a thing wrong. So the second mark of integrity is this. He was faithful in his work. He was faithful in his work. When he went to work, he went to work. And what he did in the discharge of his official duties came under the microscope of the people who sought to trap him and could find nothing. I want you to take your Bible, just hold the place and turn back to the book of Proverbs I want us to look at verse 20, I mean chapter 20, verses 6 and 7.
verses 6 and 7. Many a man proclaims his own loyalty. Everybody, you know, thinks he does a good job. And, and he's going to toot his horn about what he does. I deserve a raise, you know. Many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? And the construction there in the Hebrew language is, you're going to have to look a long time to really find trustworthy man. A righteous man who walks in his integrity. How blessed are his sons after him. Now what the book of Proverbs, what the author of the Proverb is saying is that rarely will you find a person who is absolutely and totally trustworthy at the point of his employment. Rarely will you find someone who does not give grief, who is not engaged in public rip-off, where there's no neglect. All right? He's faithful in his work. Third mark of integrity. Third mark of integrity is found in the last part of verse 4. No negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Fourth mark of integrity was personal purity. Personal purity. In his thought life and in his actions, he was personally pure. I read somewhere not long ago about a guy who, or heard about this, who um, he was, went down to a Kentucky Fried Chicken place to eat lunch and, and, or, or get some carryout, and he's going on a little picnic. And so we got this carryout box of Kentucky Fried Chicken and went out on a picnic, and they, they got out on this picnic, and they opened this Kentucky Fried Chicken box, and it was full of money. And what had happened is that the manager of the Kentucky Fried Chicken place had taken the receipts of the day and had hidden them in a, in a, in a chicken box. <laughs> and when this clerk, bless her heart, reached up there to, you know, to get the chicken that was ordered, she got the box that had all the money in it. Thought it was a box of chicken, you know. And so what he did was he, he went straight back to the Kentucky Fried Chicken place, turned that money in, hundreds of dollars. And the guy was just, I mean, overwhelmed. He said, let me, this is great. I, I've never seen anybody so honest. He said, let me get a photographer here. We're going to make a picture of this and put it in the newspaper. And the guy said, oh, no, please don't do that. He said, why not? We're going to take a picture. You, you need to, you're a hero. He said, no, don't, please don't do that. The woman I'm with is not my wife. <laughs> now, now, there is, there, is, there is one thing to be honest in what you do. It's another thing to have personal purity. And he'll say that again in case you missed it. It's one thing to be lily white on the outside. It's another thing to have a pure heart. What a people, what, 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 would, what would be found out about you behind the cover of darkness. Personal purity. I right, look at verse 5. They set up this plan. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. In other words, 
One, one thing we know about this man, if we're going to find out anything about him, we find out this. He's a man of God. And if we trap this man, in order to trap him, we're going to have to come at it from the angle of his relationship to God because there is one thing we know about him. We know that he is a man of God. So that's where they, they started. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as always. King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the perfects, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors, have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for thirty days shall be cast into the lion's den. Have you, earned, have, you, have you wondered why he didn't say we'll throw him in the fiery furnace? That's what they did, you know, back there when we were back in chapter 3. Well, there's a new kingdom now. You say, well, it's because it got burned up. No, it was, now we got the Medes, on, the, the Medes and the Persians and they are Zoroastrianism. They, they worship the god of Zoroastrianism, which is the, the fire gods. Now watch this, I, you know. For a long time I thought that when people offered their children to the gods of fire and they put these children and you know, cast them into the fire, it was a you know, uh, uh, brutal and abusive thing. They thought that if they offered their children to the gods of fire and they, they were cremated in the fire, they became gods themselves. That's why they offered their children to the gods of the fire. So instead of saying we're going to cast them in the fiery furnace, they believe, they believe in a different kind of God. So they say, well, let's, let's throw him in the lion's den if he worships any other man or any other God than you. Now look at this. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians. You ever heard that? This is according to the law of Medes and Persians. You can't change it which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is, the injunction. This is the injunction that a person was not to, if he worshiped any other god or any other man than Darius, he would be cast into the den of lions. Now, what does Daniel do when he hears about the injunction? Here's what it says. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house, now his roof chamber, he had open, windows open toward Jerusalem, look at this, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. What did he do when he found, found out that he was not to worship any other God? He went on doing what he had always been doing, and that is praying and worshiping God. That's the fourth mark of integrity. The fourth mark of integrity is a consistent walk with God. The fourth mark of integrity is a consistent walk with God. Now, he didn't turn to prayer in time of crisis or need only. 
He'd been doing this every day. And he was the top official of the land. Now notice what happens. He's on his knees. Let me ask you a question. What would it take to get you on your knees? Does it take a crisis? Does it take a tragedy? Or is it the habit of your life? See, I'm here to say tonight with a great deal of conviction that there is no man of integrity or woman who has integrity who does not have a consistent, habitual walk with God as the habit of his life. You say, I'm just too busy. I just can't do it. Three times a day? Man, you don't know my schedule. Let me tell you something. There's not a person in this room tonight that was more busy than Daniel. He was the top man in the land. And the habit of his life was to pray to God. Now look at verse 11. Then these men came by agreement, and they found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. They interrupted him to arrest him when they came to take him off to jail. He was in prayer. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction? And 30, etc. Then they answered and spoke before the king. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king or to the injunction which which you sign, but keeps making his petition three times a day. Then as soon as he heard this, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. This is a man of integrity. You don't kill off these people. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians, and that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought and cast into the lion's den. Now there are three things I want us to get from this as a lesson. First, By the way, what are the marks of integrity? The right kind of attitude, faithful in your work, personal purity, consistent walk with God. Three things, three lessons from this. Number one, you will seldom get what you deserve from people. Now that applies both to criticism and to commendation, compliment. Most people won't tell you the truth about you. What, what somebody, somebody might say was, I just like to get what I deserve. Well, I hope I don't. You will seldom ever get what you deserve from people. That applies to both criticism Some folks will let you off lightly. That also applies to compliments, commendation. If you're waiting on people to brag on you, you can forget it, because most of them are not. Second, 
you will always get what is best from God. You will always get what is best from God. Now what you get from God may not, be, may not come in the package that you think you need or want. And it may take some time for you looking back over your life to discover that what you thought was the worst thing that could ever happen to you was the best. Sometimes what we get from God comes in a package that's marked tragedy, fragile, sad, heartache, grief. And usually it comes late in your measurement of time. I need from God, I need it now. I mean, help me and do it now. So that you'll always get from God what is best, not like you might want it to come in the package you want it to be in, nor at the time you want it to come, but He's never late. He's always on time. And third, your ability to handle both is directly related to the consistency of your walk with God. Let me show you what I'm talking about. You'll not be able to handle compliments, nor will you be able to handle criticism unless you're, you have a consistent walk with God. And you'll not be able to handle the packages that God comes, brings in your life unless you have a consistent walk with God. Because in that consistent walk with God, you've learned to love Him and trust Him. And you learn in that consistent walk with God that He's going to only do with you what's best for you. You seldom get what you deserve. You only get from God what is best. And you won't be able to handle any of it unless there is the time daily in your life where you do what Daniel did. And that is open up the windows of your life to the God of heaven and earth. Let's pray together. Father, We want to be men and women who have personal integrity. Lord, we want so much to be young people that others can look to and admire. We want so much to be adults that others can look to and admire, respect. Lord, help us to see that that does not come easy that there is the evaluation of one's attitude, faithfulness to the task to which they're given, personal purity, and a walk with God that's deep and meaningful and consistent. Lord, help us to see that when that happens, the net result and the bottom line is that we're people of integrity that God uses, to whom God places the entrustment of kingdoms. 
kingdoms call homes and kingdoms call school and kingdoms call business. Lord, we pray we'll be that kind of person for Jesus' sake.